Good evening. This is uh, my last sermon here at Richmond Hill for a while, but I'm about as nervous as if it was my first sermon. <laughs> um, sermon was a long time coming. I uh, just came from a funeral. Roe Wade happened. A lot has been going on in the world. If you'll pray with me. Spirit of the living God, my God, thank you. Thank you for the people in here. Thank you for this privilege to speak to them. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This specific passage in the Gospel of Luke is sometimes referred to as the travel narrative. It's called the travel narrative because Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem, which in essence is his journey to death. In many ways, we are all on the road to Jerusalem. We grow up, learn how to walk and talk, much like Mabel, Phoebe, and Asa, the babies of Richmond Hill. (laughs) We learn how to operate in our families, in our communities, and in our cultures. We journey on to school and make friends. We continue to grow and learn and love, and if we're lucky, we fall in love. Some of us go off to college. Others get a job. Some join the military. We start families or stay single, stay at a job most of our lives, or switch careers several times. We experience pleasure and happiness, followed by setbacks and tragedy. I believe it was the wise words of Frankie Beverly and Mays who said, Joy and pain, sunshine and rain. I, I, I know I can't. The one constant is change. The one absolute is death. For all people who have come to live or work or volunteer at Richmond Hill, we know about adjusting to change. When Jesus says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, that's not hyperbole. That's gospel for us. It's no coincidence that the residents of Richmond Hill have lived all across the country. I was born in Hawaii, then my family moved to Kansas, then Colorado, then Germany, all before I was eight years old. And many of us have had these life experiences that we could write a book about. At Richmond Hill, I have met veterans who have been in special forces, college professors, pastors, executive directors, historians, artists, chefs. I've met triplets. Last week, I met a woman who had triplets. People who have hiked mountains in Africa, camped in deserts of New Mexico, sailed in the Atlantic Ocean, attended Harvard, hiked across the Shenandoah Valley, and yesterday found out that there was someone who did a paraplegic river float on the Shenandoah River. I even met someone who walked around Richmond Hill barefoot and called himself Dog. (laughs) Only half the people here will get that. I also met people who have shared stories of heartache, stories of loss, people who have survived insurmountable odds and came to Richmond Hill not only to minister, but to be ministered to, in need of a healing, even if they didn't know that they needed one, 
All of us in some way are in search of God. It was St. Augustine who declared, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. However, the irony is that while we are trying to find rest in God in this particular passage, Jesus says, If you would follow me, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is a theological, theological conundrum. Notice that Jesus didn't say that the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. He says the Son of Man. If he said the Son of God, he would have been referring to his divinity. But by saying the Son of Man, he is referring to his humanity. And as the Son of God, yes, heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He can find rest. But if Jesus wanted to come here on this planet, in this side of eternity, in this dimension, on this plane of existence, then he had to have a restlessness that pervades his very soul, even if you're the son of God. I know restlessness. People ask me, well, how did you come to Richmond Hill? It could be summed up in divorce. In 2015, I was at Emory and moved back home with my family. Um, one, wanted to see if I would get into the PhD programs that I applied for. Two, wanted to see if the marriage was reconcilable. Both of those things didn't come to fruition. And I fell into a deep depression, and I went searching. I worked on a documentary some of you might have seen a couple years ago. I went to a Buddhist monastery in New York. That didn't work out. As many of you know, I went to Yogaville and stayed there for a month. I was searching, and I spoke to a Swami, which is the Hindu equivalent of a monk, and asked her, pretty much I told her the same story I just told you. She said, well, why don't you pray about it? Which I thought was weird. I thought she would want me to meditate. But I said, okay, I'll pray, even though I hadn't done it for a while. I went and prayed, and I believed that I needed to visit St. Paul Episcopal Church when I returned back to the area, which I did. I ended up going to the church. After the service was over, I met a lady by the name of Eleanor, and I told her the story that I just told you. She said, well, have you ever been to Richmond Hill? What's Richmond Hill? <laughs> Thank you, Eleanor. <laughs> Thank you, Eleanor, indeed. I visited and I fell in love with the place. Fell in love with the people. Started volunteering here. And after several interviews with Janie Walker and Reverend Joe Blunk, the co-pastor, and Reverend Janie Walker, um, they finally said that, yeah, we think you're a good fit. And they said that. My start date would be May 1st, which is my birthday. Which is a, a story of coincidence, but it, it doesn't really sum up what it took for me to go through that. It was a, a gift for me. And Lindsey Franklin started, which was another gift for me, one of my closest friends. None of this was mapped out. I applied for PhD work, I didn't get in. I applied for dozens of jobs, I didn't get in. So in order for things to work out for me to be in front of you right now, yes, I had to make some choices. However, life was unfolding in a way that I could not have foreseen. I was so hurt from the church. As many of you know, I was a Baptist minister at one point. I was done with Christianity. So yeah, being up here was very unlikely for me. But the older I get, I've learned that my life is not my own. And speaking of life not being my own, I guess I would be an irresponsible preacher if I did not address the bombshell overturning of Roe v. Wade. 
I was trying to think how to talk about such a delicate subject, and I figured I'd tell a story. When I was in my 20s and lived in New York, I was dating somebody at the time. We weren't dating, she wasn't a girlfriend. It was dating like friends with benefits, which from my culture is <laughs> your friend with certain benefits. Um, but it was a toxic relationship. It wasn't healthy. And one night I was at her apartment and we got into a pretty bad argument and I found out that she was pregnant. What to do? What should have been a conversation became an even deeper argument. I left in a rage. The next day in my apartment, back home during um, my lunch break, I get a call from her that she's at the clinic and uh, that she was going through with it. I didn't know how to write this part of uh, the sermon, so I actually found a song I wrote when I was in my 20s. It's called Letter, Letter to My Unborn Child. It's inspired by a song by Tupac. It's a rap, so I'm not singing. <laughs> it says, forgive me, I was too young and not ready. The world's a burden, the burden gets heavy. Too heavy to bear, believe me when I say I cared, but this is life and life ain't fair. So I took your life, didn't have the right, try to pray to Christ, couldn't see the light. So you paid the price, never said it's right. How could you have a mother that's not my wife? So I wasn't able to make a choice. Your mom stayed strong and became the voice that in the end would decide your fate. Understand, I'm not a man, I can't put food on your plate. I'd hate to state that you were a mistake. I wasn't ready, but the condom just happened to break. So now it's me that I hate the most, made love to a body, gave birth to a ghost. At the time, I was deeply sad and hurt by it. However, 20 years later, I have to admit, I'm a little grateful by it. My life would not be what it is had she not made that decision. But the funny thing is, if she had decided to keep the baby, I think things would have been the same. I think I would have been up here saying, I'm grateful for the decision that was made. That's my life experience with it, but what does the Bible say? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That sounds pretty pro-life. However, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Better is the one who has not been born and not seen the evil things of this world. Sounds kind of pro-choice. In the Gospels, when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and her cousin Elizabeth is, is pregnant with John the Baptist, something leaps inside them. The baby or the fetus leaps inside them. Who would think of an abortion when there's such divine providence? Yet, several chapters later, Jesus says of Judas of Iscariot, Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man, better that he had not been born. Beloved, the Bible says what we want it to say. However way we want to control and manipulate other folks. And on social media now, I see Christians calling each other baby killers, fascists, and then we're surprised when things get violent. One of the main things I learned about being in Richmond Hill is there are people who live here and retreat here and visit here who do not share my views. Our political and religious views are different. However, that doesn't mean we have to be enemies. We don't even have to be friends. But we are each other's neighbors. And if we claim to be Christians, we're called to love our neighbor, not asked to change our neighbor, not asked to even like our neighbor, or to convince them of our ideological views. 
But if we can't agree on the core principle of loving one another, what are we even doing? When the church is a mirror image of the world, then the church becomes irrelevant. The writer theologian Henry Nouwen points out that during the early church, as many of you know, they were martyred starting with Jesus. He was executed and all of his followers after that was executed. But when Rome took over the church, there were no need for executions. It was the state religion. So some of the church mothers and fathers decided that they were going to go out into the desert. They rejected living a life based on the standard of the secular world around them. And basically they left their jobs, they left their families and friends, and they redefined what St. Paul called being a living sacrifice. So yes, salvation is free, but it doesn't mean that it's cheap. The scholar Daryl Broke wrote, discipleship is a priority. The world will not comprehend when we go in a different direction from certain cultural expectations. Today's gospel is challenging because it's offensive. Jesus tells these would-be followers, leave your family. And worse, when somebody just wants to bury his father, Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. It's pretty offensive. And we like to clean it up, but maybe we need to leave it dirty. I'm wondering if anybody has been offended by God. For me, I feel like I have to sacrifice my ego and believe in a God that I don't even know is there sometimes. A God who has not answered prayers around addiction that I've prayed over and over again. Will I continue to believe in a God after my marriage has failed? If there's issues with friends or family or when I see society on the brink of collapse? Will I believe in a God when there's so much death, death by, of children by gun violence? death during pregnancies, death of women's rights, more death and more death, and yet no answers. I'm offended. But I recognize that she's a God beyond what we can understand or even define. So really we're kind of scared. We're scared little beings on this planet wondering, why are we here? Now that I'm in my mid-40s, things have changed. When I was in 35 and younger, I used to go to baby showers and marriages. Now it's divorces and funerals. Even here at Richmond Hill, the past several weeks, a number of us have had death in our families or friends. And it's a reminder that if ever there was a time to find out why we're here, perhaps now is that time. And that's an answer I don't have for anybody. I'm still looking myself, but I feel like I'm on the right track. And it took me a long time to get here. And for me, following Jesus has been an adventure. It's filled with ups and downs, joy and pain, sunshine and rain. It's been an incredible journey with deep, deep gratitude. Knowing that though lovers will come and go, Though family and friends might come and go, and they will, whether through life or other means. Though the world may turn against me or you, we will always have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So I pray that he'll continue to help us love others as he's loved us. Amen.